All right, Chuck, we're here. It's time to talk a little draft. So, uh, A, great to have you here, and B, need, need your, your high-level takeaways. I doubt you were spending three straight hours watching the draft, but, but how do you feel just about what you saw? I, I know you got some, some, uh, some frustrations maybe with, with the way a few of these teams have approached the draft this year. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I'm happy to be here. Um, it's, an, it's an honor and a privilege. But um, and I, on ton, in terms of actually watching three hours of the draft, maybe a bit of a hot take, but I actually like Shams uh, spoiling the picks. And I, I kind of like how everyone's feathers gets r- rustled on it that are actually watching. I think it's way too much of a drawn out event. Uh, too many commercials, too much like blabbering. I get it. I get why they do it. Um, and it is cool to hear some of the stories, but I'd rather have playoff basketball or hockey on and just get like the notifications from fans or whoever uh, like five minutes before the pick and be like, Oh, okay, that's cool. Uh, I think it's become too much of a pageantry where, you know, I don't need to tune in for three hours with these guys that wear in different suits and whatnot. It's become like an entertainment red carpet event. And I don't, I don't need to be sitting locked in for three hours on that. So just wanted to get that out of the way. Cause I had some buddies that were like freaking out at shams and I actually kind of loved it. And it's a little bit of a troll job. So just wanted to get out that I'm in solidarity with, uh, with shams there, but yeah, I mean, jumping into it, you know, the headlines are always at the top of the draft, you know, bad teams are picking at the top and they're bad teams for a reason, um, but they're looking to turn it around. And I have a lot of, you know, bones to pick, I guess, with some of these top teams, because it just seems like the shitty teams are making shitty moves over and over. And it's kind of a repeat. And I'm not here to say that I know anything, you know, about analysis or makeup of any of these players. And I'm not predicting how it will turn out but I look at it more from like a draft capital and a logic point of view. And it just seems like some of these teams get in their own way with it and don't utilize their resources and kind of trip over their own shoelaces when, you know, trying to rebuild, you know, either too quickly or, or whatever it might be. Um, like example, the Texans, you know, don't want to, you know, crap rain on their parade. Um, <laughs> the fans should be happy. You know, they got a quarterback of the future they hope and, you know, the best, I guess, besides Jalen Carter, the best defensive player or best, you know, non-QB player out there. So two and three pick, you know, overall, that's really exciting on paper. But what they had to do to get that just seems absolutely insane. I mean, it was clear that the owner of the Texans wanted um, C.J. Stroud or wanted a quarterback. He wanted a quick fix. Um, And I'm not going to go into like, look, it sounds like this quarterback draft from what I've read and seen is, you know, okay but there's no like knockout trevor lawrence guy each one of them has their warts or their you know issues um so i'm not commenting on whether stroud will be good or not but what i am commenting on is the texans absolutely stink they have the worst roster in the nfl so he's not set up to succeed whatsoever in this situation now a lot of these qbs need a good situation they need to you know they need to have receivers they need to have an offensive line you know you could really ruin a good prospect and you can elevate maybe a mediocre one like jared goff and, and and you know with the rams um, so I, I you just, they're not set up. They're going to start him probably pretty close because Davis Mills is clearly not NFL QB. So he starts early in the season, if not right away, he's going to get killed out there. Has absolutely no one to throw. It. I think Brandon Cooks is gone. Um, so, you know, you have CJ Stroud there, who's a, maybe a flawed, relatively so QB prospect. And then you trade up, which is an insane package for if it's an insane package if you traded for a QB, but they traded for up for a defensive interior defensive lineman. And Will Anderson looks awesome. Don't get me wrong, but they gave up their first round for next year. They're going to stink this year. So that's a top five pick for next year. And in that draft as a, on paper has a way better QB class with Drake may Caleb Williams. And there's a few others, I think 
So you lose that pick for next year to the Cardinals. So the Cardinals will probably have two top five picks. And now you're left with two guys who are great, you know, might be great in their own right, but they have nothing to surround them with. You only moved up from 12 to three in that pick. You could have just waited at 12 and taken a cornerback like Christian Gonzalez or something. So now you lost all this draft pick capital, second rounds, third rounds. And what are you left with? You know, two players that are going to do nothing with that supporting cast. So I don't like, they're just that the Texans, it sounds like the owner rushed to get a quarterback in a somewhat weak quarterback draft. And now they're just left with less, like not much draft capital to build around. And I don't know where you go from here. And you look down the board, you've got, I mean, the Colts are another one, but Jim Irsay is clearly, you know, an unhinged lunatic at this point. It's like he rushed to get Anthony Richardson. Now I was really against Anthony Richardson in the beginning, but I've kind of warmed up you know, to maybe the conceivable upside. I think he stunk in college and I don't know a call a quarterback that stinks in college and then is good in the NFL. Like maybe Josh Allen was like mediocre in college or underwhelming, but everyone's chasing that Josh Allen. Like the odds are not happening again or yeah. slim to none. So you have Anthony Richardson that you're taking a huge risk on. I get the Colts are kind of in full rebuild, but I saw headlines like Jim Irsay wants to start him to start sooner than later. It's like, well, that's not a guy that should be starting from day one. So it sounds like they're going to mishandle him over there. I guess the flip side is that they have that Eagles offensive coordinator in who worked with Jalen Hurts. You've got Jonathan Taylor can have a good running game with Richardson, but it just seems like these teams are going so quick fix for a QB today, rather than maybe like, all right, let's suck for one more year and wait for a better QB and compile some more draft capital. You know, these teams shouldn't be giving up draft capital right now. And it just is crazy to me that they're like trying to rush a quarterback into a bad situation I can go on and on, but it just seems like those two highlighted it for me. The Panthers gave up a ton for Bryce Young, who looks awesome. The makeup is there, but he's really undersized. He's the most, I think I saw he was the smallest QB ever to go in the first round. You see what's going on with Tua and his health concerns. It's just like, I'm not saying it's not going to work out, but it's a huge, huge risk. And then you gave up your star receiver and a bunch of picks. It's like, these guys have to work out. Or now you're set back not only two, three years, five years now. So it just seems like crazy that they're trying to force the issue with these quarterbacks that don't seem like generational guys like a Trevor Lawrence or an Andrew Luck. I want to turn it over to you because I took hijacked too much time there. But <laughs> am, I, am I crazy with these these teams are just doing the same old mistakes over and over and setting these guys up to fail? So I think ultimately, yes, I I, I agree that clearly there's some flawed decision making processes for all these teams that are perennially in the top five. But I, I, I think it's interesting to get into why and how. And the thing that I can't really get over is, in so many cases, how mismatched the, I don't want to say the incentives are, but like you'll have a GM who's on one timetable and you'll have a coach who's on another. And then you'll have an owner right. who's seemingly like, and you know, to his credit, he bought the team, he can do whatever the hell he wants, but he doesn't really care about either of their timetables. He's just, you know, had one too many whiskeys with a, another billionaire who told him he really liked how CJ Stroud spun it. Like it's Nick Casario's job is to build the best team, but Nick Casario's real job is to not get fired. And yep. so I kind of understand him wanting to make a splash. And it sounds like his hand was forced with CJ Stroud. Yep. They had the two pick. They didn't want to take a quarterback. Will Anderson was their guy. D'Amico Ryan's has ties. And that that Alabama linebacker world, it, it felt like that was the pick for a while. Okay. Yeah. Owner comes in, we're taking a quarterback. I need a quarterback. I can almost understand that in the sense of like, why not just take a shot? And if CJ Stroud isn't your guy, or let me take a step back. I can understand it if you're willing to pull the cord quick. If if you're willing to give CJ Stroud a year. And is it fair to judge a guy after a year? No. But if, if you're willing to make that call, maybe it's worth just 
because you you can't do shit without a quarterback. So I, I I can understand that piece of it. But the mortgage the future, and honestly for D'Amico Ryan's, like I'm assuming he had some role in in this mm-hmm. decision making. Like, dude, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place if these two guys aren't studs. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't really know how year three and year four, you you can feel like you're building towards the future. Like you're not winning a Super Bowl in the next three years, and I know that's not the goal for every franchise, but. To me, it just comes down to who's making the decision and like, or do they actually have unilateral control? Yeah. Uh, say what you want about Bill Belichick, the GM, but I think if you look across the league, most well-run situations have great partnerships between the GM and the head coach, if it's yeah. not the same guy. The John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan setup is money because you can just tell they're, they're in there sort of in tandem, like going after the same guys while... I don't know what kind of relationship D'Amico and, and Nick Casario have, but clearly, like, I mean, one of them was brought in this year. Casario's been there a couple of years. It just seems like a friggin' mess. But to to flip over to the other two quarterbacks you talked about, I actually think they're the two most interesting guys in this draft by a mile. Curious how you feel about this on Bryce Young. Because, yes, we've all heard it. He's undersized. Total shrimp of a quarterback. There's something about watching him play football. And I, I love watching college football. I, I certainly don't watch as much Saturdays as Sundays, but Bryce has that thing that Mahomes has where he just doesn't take a square hit. And it makes all the sense in the world that a guy like Lamar Jackson doesn't take a square hit. Like he's the classic, make a guy miss in a phone booth. He's his game is not getting hit square. Mahomes. It doesn't make sense. Like dude doesn't even look that fast out there half the time, but he does not it, it's it's some mix of athleticism and spatial awareness and reading momentum. And to me, Bryce has that. Now, if you're 180 and you take one bad hit, I mean, that that could be your season and, and potentially your career. But Tua coming out was such a different guy. He was like a hard-nosed, would take like a third and short run up the middle at Alabama. Like wasn't making guys miss, but was almost like such a football guy's football guy that kind of liked the contact. And at the NFL, he just wasn't built for that level of contact. So to me, Bryce, yeah, he's going to really need to to be protected by the refs. And there's no chance he's the number one overall pick in 1995. Mm. Um, even if mentally people were were past the small quarterback issue, just the way the rules were written, like not a prayer. But I actually believe in Bryce Young, weirdly enough. And to, to wrap up on Anthony Richardson, I'm so torn on him because on the one yeah. hand, it's classic, go for the upside take him early like will levis to like it's easy to say in hindsight but he just doesn't seem like a guy who is going to to become something that rallies a city around you and, and actually brings you consistent playoff appearances and anthony richardson probably won't be because he stunk at florida but he could be the tough thing with him is everyone says it's a two three year project and if you can't have an answer after a year on one of these, you know, first round guys, which no one's expecting to. They're sort of like, yeah, this is our two, three year plan. That's where it becomes an issue because you're kind of hamstringing your franchise unless you think he's your guy. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Gardner Minshew is really going to be stealing playing time from from Anthony Richardson this year. But if I'm the Colts, this is not the way many franchises are run. I'd want an answer on him by week 17. Like I, I'd be willing to draft another quarterback first round next year. Uh, and, you know, I mean, heck, it, it happened in a different way for the 49ers where they just ended up with a stud. Yeah. But uh, to me, that's that's fine. Like keep drafting dudes because yeah. you, you can't be locked into a guy and just really give your your, your GM no chance to, 
to get creative for five years. It kills you. Yeah. Well, I, I think on that note, like it, my frustration, like, and I, I agree that it's, it's more the owners and the GMs and the GMs often are, you know, hand tied with this. I think we, it's well publicized that the Texans um, owner forced that one. Um, and then, like almost it was a compromise that they're like, all right, well, we still want Will Anderson. And then they had to trade everything to get him. Um, but with Anthony Richardson, like my frustration is like, is, you know, this guy, you know, he oozes talent, like he's, he's the classic combine porn guy. And it's like, every, he oozes it, you know, with no pads on, you know, not 11, 11, it's just running, you know, routes against no one looks great, has all the tools, whatever. Like I get that the theoretical upside is un you know, unfathomable. Like we haven't seen a, an athlete like that. I, they've said that he's the best quarterback athlete they've ever seen. Great. But they, you know they're going to force him to start early, whether it's pressure from the owner or whoever. It's like we need an answer before we could divert more resources toward to building around him. But then you start him too early when he's not ready, you know, loses confidence, doesn't develop the proper way, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And my frustration more lies in like he's set up to fail in an already like uphill battle for him because he didn't do well at Florida. I know they had a bad team in the SEC, but he really just didn't even look good. It wasn't even the numbers or anything. Mm-hmm. He just looked awful. So this guy is, a, you know, Jordan Love in, in Green Bay. I don't know if he's going to be good, but if he got drafted top 10, he would no chance of succeeding on a crappy team. Like Anthony Richardson is going to be forced to start too early. If he went like late first to, a, you know, a Titans team that he sat under Tannehill for, or even the Vikings, he sat under Kirk Cousins. Again, I'm just throwing out names where he sits under a veteran quarterback who has a secure starting job. Maybe Tannehill doesn't have a secure job, but... He has that a veteran QB that has a secure starting job with that team for one to two to three years, while Richardson can develop, you know, behind the scenes with no pressure, and they're still like a borderline playoff team or a playoff team, so that there's no like fans pawing for stardom until like year two or three. That's the ideal situation, like a late first for you know competitive team. That's where he should have been going, you know, early first to one of these terrible franchises. I just don't, you know. I don't know. I, I just think a lot has to go right. And it doesn't seem like those franchises have the foundation for him and, and Bryce Young. I don't I don't disagree that the player himself, the makeup is amazing there, but all it takes is one hit. And like, I think you could have said about Kyler Murray when his Heisman year coming out, he's like, oh, he's good at avoiding mm-hmm. hits, though, you know, and he's been hurt yeah. every year since. And he's faded in the second half of the year. Not saying they're the same player. I don't want to say that. I, I don't know enough to compare the two, but I'm just saying these smaller guys, a lot has to go right for them to stay healthy. And it just takes one hit or two hits there and they're scrambling or, or moving around the pocket. So I know Bryce has like the highest IQ that they've seen in a few years and whatnot, but I don't know. I just think it's the same thing over and over. And these poor guys are, you know, they're making millions. So how bad do I really feel? But <laughs> I, I just think that, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but just some of these guys shouldn't be going so high just because they're QBs. Yeah. So I have a follow-up on that. I will say about, about Bryce and, and Kyler, I, we, you know, sure. We don't personally know him well enough to, uh, to, to really, you know, psychoanalyze, but I'd let Bryce Young date my sister, Kyler, stay the fuck away. So I, I think there's there's yeah. enough on the surface there that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing more than reading the tea leaves. With, with No, I might have said that. Deshaun Watson a few years ago seemed like a guy who could date your sister, and then, you know, look at how one turned out. You might be, oh, God. I, 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 I can't fooled. even try to be funny about that. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Uh, so it's, we hear about this, this, NFL coaches ego thing all the time, right? Where a guy might fail in one setting, but you know, Matt rules like bring Sam Darnold down to Carolina. I can fix him. (laughs) Kyle Shanahan. I don't know if Sam Darnold's going to get any run this year, but you know, these guys always think that if you just give me the guy, John Gruden, I feel like was famous for this. Like just, just get him in my system. I'll take care of him. And of course to, to 
reached that pinnacle of being an NFL head coach or even like a, a big time offensive coordinator. You got to have an ego. You got to be good at what you do. And you probably have to know you're good at it to be able to convince people to give you the role and all that. All that said, it works against these dudes a hundred percent because if you're sitting there in the top five, you're, you're thinking that me, this coach, this coaching staff that I've created can fix this guy when really, if your team's going to stink, like, and this is where I want to kick it back to you. Ultimately, like your, your confidence as an NFL quarterback, like, it seems for a lot of these guys to be pretty fragile because I was just listening to um, who was it? like Taylor Luan and, and Will Compton the other day mm. on, on PMT. And they were just talking about how, yeah, like Taylor's like, I'm a first round pick, but that, that imposter syndrome is real mm. and it's got to be incredibly real at the quarterback position with how many yeah. absolute physical studs have come through and just not made it. And so the, the question I want to pose to you is, is do you think it is that these guys, these quarterbacks have a pretty fragile confidence when it comes to playing NFL quarterback, or is it more around just the quality of the offensive coordinator and him and making things easy and I, I guess those are very related, but, you know, on the one hand, there's a guy like Peyton Manning who can just get beat up his first year and fight back and has the makeup to overcome that. But I think we all sense that most of these dudes can't overcome that. And you're almost like, hey, if, if you're this guy, Anthony Richardson, you're not a Peyton Manning. You're maybe a Josh Allen if, if we want to let the exception be the rule. Right. It's almost like regardless of how crazy the upside is, you're a far better pick in a scenario where – the OC is going to tailor everything to you. He's going to give you eight weeks on the bench. Um, but what are we calling these? Is this like, you know, accusing these guys of being millennials? Like, are, are they tougher than we think? And it it comes down more to, to individual makeup? Or do you really think it is just crappy team? It's, it's, it's hard to continue playing good football. I don't think these guys are in the spot they're in if they don't have confidence in themselves. You know, athleticism can only take you so far. Um, you know, and we're looking at it through a very, very critical lens, um, you know, from our couches here. So who are we? But these yeah. guys, I, you know, I, I don't think Anthony Richardson, even though he, he may have, you know, underwhelmed at Florida, I don't think he's going in like, shit, I'm not ready for this. He's probably saying, I'm pumped up. I just was fourth overall. Let's get it. You know, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I think Bryce Young and, and CJ Stroud saying the same thing. And Will Levis is probably pissed. He fell to the second. You know, I, I, it's not an ego thing. I think it's just, you know, confidence level. Like these guys got to this point, you know, partially because they believe themselves and, uh, you know, on top of the athleticism. Like I think they can, they believe they can succeed heading into the year. Then they go through a year. It's like, a, you know, David Carr situation, the Texans, where you get sacked 10 times a game, you get physically beat up and then you get absolutely beaten down and like a bad coach and no support system. Then it's like, whoa. I'm not cut out for this. Um, and, and that's I think, where I think the issue is. To jump in, I think there is where it also really matters that they love ball. Yeah. Like you you have to care enough about like this game you've been playing your whole life to be like, I don't care that it kills me to get out of bed every morning right now. Like I need to go get better because I won't sleep well at night at 40 if I don't like fulfill my yeah, my like God given football ability. And most dudes in the NFL aren't quite at that level. There's not. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I can't comment on their their psycho their, their psyche on it, but uh, you know, I'm sure they're way. We look at it through a lens of like how if I was in that situation, I'd be shitting my pants. I'd be like, I don't belong here, but <laughs> but that's because I'm not even close to being a, a professional yeah. athlete. So, um, but I, I did want to touch on like the fact that, or just a, a quick note that the three of the top four QBs that went, I want to say, or sorry, yeah, um, or all went to a AFC South teams. So now Trevor Lawrence got a little competition. You've got um, Will Levis, the Titans. You've got CJ Stroud on the Texans. And you've got 
Um, uh, what's his face? Who am I? Oh, and Anthony Richards is on the Colts. So I think all of them maybe see the division up for the grabs over the next five years. I mean, I think the Jags have a stranglehold over it with one of the generational QB. And, um, and I'll get into Trevor Lawrence at later dates. I absolutely love him. Um, and Doug Peterson, who I think is one of the best coaches in the NFL. So they got a head start on all of them and a way better quarterback, I think, than all those guys are polished. But it's interesting to see how that will unfold over the next five to ten years because not only are they taking a risk on their QB, um, but they're all kind of doing it at the same time with their division foes. So I think it'll be like for a really bad division – I think it'll be like an interesting kind of, you know, race over the next few years. Yeah, it's it's a great point, and I uh, I can't imagine Doug and and, and Trevor weren't uh, weren't pretty excited seeing how the draft went because it it looks like three baby fawns just waiting to be slaughtered every year in that division. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, Doug knows QBs better than us. Maybe he's like, oh man, they drafted this guy. Here we go. You know. <laughs> Or not, or maybe he's maybe he's nervous, but uh, and it, it's funny because we're talking. Of, oh, sorry, you want to say them? I was going to say, don't remind me too much about Doug. It's still hurts. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I I don't want to touch on it too much. We're we're dancing around it, but I'll leave that be for now. Until I really need to whip it out. Yeah, uh, when kick the, a man while he's down. Yeah, when the Mets are blowing the division of the Braves again midway through the summer, I might have to lash out with that. But um, yeah, three one, three one Celtics Knicks. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we got to get there, there first. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we were talking about like kind of the shitty franchises or relatively. So, you know, maybe inconsistent is the better word, but, um, and talking about the QB side of it, shifting gears to what team that is building out an offense with everything, but a QB, the Falcons, and kind of, this is the Bijan talk, because I think it's a a really unique conversation, especially with this player, but the Falcons have, you know, I like all these players that they've drafted, you know, Kyle Pitts, I loved in college. And I think he's like perfect for the modern offense. He just needs the right team, which clearly the Falcons who have Arthur Smith um, really run heavy offense, very weak quarterback play. It's not been the right situation for Pitts. I don't think it has anything to do with Pitts, the player, but you got Pitts, you've got Craig London, who I liked out of USC. Um, and now you take Bijan Robinson, who is like generational running back prospect. We haven't seen someone like this, maybe since Zeke, I want to say in terms of just like, we're, McCaffrey like in terms of like levels above every other running back um and he's like one of those exception the rules you could use a high pick on him but use a pick on him they had like one of the best rushing offenses last year with Algier who was a rookie that they found as a late round gem and Porterell Patterson who's had this like renaissance in his career so like not only is running back in general not really you know a, a, a position a premium position to take especially early in a draft but they also have two good running backs already and a good running system and they have a huge question mark at quarterback and probably one of the worst defenses again in the league. So it's like, I actually love the idea of take of someone taking Bijan earlier, early ish in the first round. I was okay with that. I know people are like no running backs whatsoever in the top 15 or top 20. I was like, I think Bijan's one of those guys where he's going to be good no matter where he goes. He's a unique talent, like a Brees Hall from last year, but he may be even better, you know, more accomplished in college. Um, but he's made more sense at a team like the Eagles, where the Eagles kind of had a team in place, a super, already went to the Super Bowl, have a great defense, even though they lost some pieces, have a great offense. They just kind of need to plug in a stud at running back, and he can just kind of hit the ground running and go. Like, that made a lot of sense at 10. Um, or a team that's kind of, you know, maybe not the Seahawks, but I'm just throwing out teams that are, like, already playoff contenders, um, you know, for him to just plug and play. But for a team like the Falcons, who had – who have awful defense and so many holes there. And then they're putting a lot of faith in Desmond Ritter. They gave him a lot of toys to work with, but Desmond Ritter, like, is that the guy? I don't know. So now they have this huge offense with no one really steering it. And it's like, I don't mind Bijan at eight to the right team, but for the Falcons with 
Jalen Carter and some other guys sitting there on defense? I, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on that? It was a bizarre pick because I feel like yeah. they were the team that it was the first pick of the first round where everyone said he could go, but there's no yeah. way Arthur would do this, right? No. Like Algier was a revelation. What was he? Yeah. Third, fourth, fifth rounder. Dude, he was like, he might have been fifth or sixth, I think. He was late. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a, maybe not. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's a day three guy. Yeah. Uh, and it's weird because on the one hand, Arthur Smith is, you know, he, he, created the offense that allowed Derrick Henry to thrive. He clearly seems to have some penchant for like, get me the right type of running attack. And I'm going to play a little bit of old school, like mid two thousands play action, yeah. which is probably what Desmond Ritter needs. If he wants to be like a, a high level starter in the NFL, if, if that's even realistic. Tannehill but, 2.0. Yeah, and that's the nicest thing we can say about it. Yeah. But I, I don't, it's weird. Cause I, now I've said that twice, but I, I, I think running back is going to be something that fluctuates. And, and we're in this, like, honestly, I would even say two years ago was like the peak running backs aren't worth shit. Their values crazy low. Don't take one in the first round. Like the nerds love a storyline and they especially right. love the storyline that goes against either conventional wisdom or what used to be true. And there was a lot of truth to that. Like we all yeah. watched Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon, two very different, but low valued running backs just, you know, I'm not gonna say they won a Super Bowl, Pat. But like, but they were a massive role in that. Right. At the end of the day, though, the more the league becomes spread out, and yes, there's pushback to that as well. But I think the more the league kind of starts to resemble the college game, the amount of passes some of these running backs are catching, and the amount of space, like consistently, like 10, 12 plays a game, where one missed tackle can be an extra 15, 20 yards. If if all of this matchup-based offense is getting receivers and studs and one-on-one matchups. If you have that level of talent at running back, it can be almost as valuable. And so I think it's really, you know, yes, we're, we're, we're through the days of a true bell cow because these guys just can't hold up. But having two stud running backs, I, I don't think is an unreasonable way to build the team if they're both on rookie contracts. You can't do it signing a guy after, yeah, after his rookie deal. But and, and I don't get it in the Falcon sense because – you're probably kind of thinking Caleb Williams and that whole crew next year. So why would you want the running back before the quarterback? Right. But um, I actually don't hate the whole running backs going early. Now, eight and 12 for, for Bijan and, and uh, Gibbs is it's early. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But uh, well, I don't know. I, I can't wait to watch both of those guys play. It's, yeah. We can get into Gibbs in a second. Cause I think we differ a little bit there on, on the pick or even the, Maybe not so much the player, but the, the nature around it. And I'm probably a little more critical on it than you. But at least with Bijan, I, I love the player. I think he's going to be awesome. I loved him at Texas. Um, again, I can't predict the future, but I'm with you. I think there's been an overcorrection by the draft nerds. I get the advanced metrics, the longevity of the running back. Like they weren't wrong with like being like, hey, we should probably not be taking these guys top five, top 10, especially yeah. when it's going to pass heavy offense and the way the rules are changing, the game's evolving. I totally get that and agree with it. But there's been an overcorrection, as there always is, where it's like they're like Brees Hall example was like a locked. I know he got hurt this past year, but he looked awesome. I watched a lot of the Jets games. He was dominant out there, and he mm-hmm. changed their whole when their offense went out. I know they had like Zach Wilson and Mike White at quarterback, but their offense was like kind of humming with him. And then he went down, and they were completely lost. So he kind of carried their offense. Obviously, Derrick Henry's a unique case, and some of these other guys. The problem is you get the running back to the second contract. You know, that's where you run into issues. Then you can't build enough around it. And it's not like a quarterback that can truly carry a team to a Super Bowl. Um, and, like, the Zeke contract and the McCaffrey and, and Henry. Um, but my thing with Bijan is, like, he 
everyone agreed that he's like a guaranteed stud running back in the NFL. You know, a guy like Brees Hall falls to the second round just because people are like, we don't really need to take a running back. But, you know, you get to the mid-teens or, you know, early teens, and it's like, I could either kind of take a chance on this, like, rangy defensive end or this cornerback with a little upside, you know, or a wide receiver that we already have two of, or, you know, take this guaranteed stud at running back when we're kind of just rotating a couple guys in and you're already kind of a playoff team. Like, why not? You don't think fans will be upset with that pick if you've got a four-time pro bowler on his five-year contract for the next, you know, half decade. Like, I, I just think like, if you're kind of like, eh, you don't, you're not in love with any of the running backs or any of the other picks, you could trade back. Or you could be like, well, Bijan Robinson's a generational running back here at 12 or 13. I know he didn't fall that far, but I'm just saying theoretically, you know, why not take him? Because you can't, it, 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 there is value to, to be had there and it can change your team. And people yeah. are just like so stubborn or like so fixed and like, I won't touch a running back till the second round. Like, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think there's yeah. exceptions to the rules where he was worthy of a top 10 for the right team. Now, again, Falcons team, his, it, the timeline doesn't add up. We don't know about Desmond Ritter. I don't, you know, believe in him, but their defense stinks. Like they have so many holes. I know the division isn't great, but it's like that timeline for Bijan, you've got four or five years with him, you know, and then you're not going to want to resign him if he's as good as he is. And if he's not, then you're not going to want to resign him anyway. And he's going to be too mm-hmm. expensive if he's good. So it's like, okay, so that timeline doesn't add up. But if you went to like the Eagles or someone, like I think that would be a great pick. Like they could plug and play some of their other minor holes. And then they have a stud at running back. That makes would them like go, unstoppable. Would he go top five overall in fantasy if he went to Philly? I don't know because I think people would be worried about touches, you know, and the Jalen Hurts stealing touchdowns. Yeah. The ball around. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. The Hurts thing's actually big too. I mean, honestly, like he, dude, I think he's flirting with it right now at the Falcons because it's so run heavy. He's going to be the center of the offense. I won't be taking him, but <laughs> I almost think he's like almost more fancy hype with the Falcons than with the Eagles, maybe because he might be more of a periphery guy there at least to start it's pretty fair honestly with what Algier did last year I was kind of thinking like game script wise with the Eagles yeah. like you're just running True. it down team's throat in third quarter but uh that's that's fair I mean we if you weren't personally burned by the Clyde hype what is that three years ago well I you, was uh, you might... <laughs> well documented burn took him like six overall and it, it it's uh, changed my fantasy uh, trajectory since lost all confidence change your personality too yeah exactly it's i'm just never in a good mood anymore uh, <laughs> something something's just stick with you <laughs> yeah that one hurts um but yeah i mean i guess you know transitioning that into boy gibbs the lions is another team so i think we covered yeah falcons oh but i don't want to say arthur smith you know his dad i think or grandpa founded yeah. fedex he's a millionaire it's his dad, straight dad. And straight he like, dad, pretty incredible. Was like, uh, a, straight dad is in like it is his dad, not a, a the opposite of a gay dad. Uh, <laughs> he he like actually gave him internships too, and he was like, "Dad, fuck this, I love football." It's a yeah. pretty cool story. It is. It really is. He doesn't even need his contract, but he's doing it. You know, he just loves the no. game. Um, also, does any NFL head coach look less like a rich guy's son? I know. He looks like a Midwestern guy they dug up off like a cornfield and just like, you're going to play offensive line at a D3 school and then get like some student assistant, grad assistant job and just work offensive line coach for the next 15 years. Or like 20 years just absolutely ruining this like one Iowa high school football conference. Oh, yeah. And then finally- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. No, I totally agree. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I guess he fits their system, but they just – for that team, it just didn't add up. But I, I do love Bijan. Um, but the, the Lions, I'm really frustrated with them because they were so fun this year. They were on the precipice of making the playoffs. 
real like one of the best surprises this past year. Um, have a really, you know, I was kind of a golf hater at, at his end of his Rams tenure into Detroit. Not because I like the guy. I think he's great personality. He had some great years in the Rams, but I was like, oh, he's going to finish out his like bloated contract with the Lions. You know, they're going to start him because they want to purposely tank. They're going to suck every year, get a top pick, eventually find their QB, and then he's going to become a career backup. I think he's played his way into being like a starter for like maybe a journeyman starter after this if they don't want to commit to him, but like a starter nonetheless for like different teams you know, moving forward. Like, I think he's earned like a stopgap, like two, three year job with different teams. If they, you know, want to plug in a guy before the draft, um, that's just, you know, aside, but they have a good team or a good offense, really fun, you know, some awesome weapons, um, Aiden Hutchinson on defense, but their defense obviously was horrendous this past year, a ton of shootouts. And they're sitting there at 12 with the guy like Christian Gonzalez. They just traded away Jeff Okuda for mm-hmm. like nothing because he didn't work out. So it's like, well, there's a clear quarterback cornerback hole. Your defense absolutely blew. And it's like Christian Gonzalez is sitting there. There's a few other good, you know, exciting defensive players. If you don't like them, maybe trade back. Instead, they take a guy, a running back. It's not Bijan. So it's not even the best in the class. It's not a generational guy. It's a cool gadget guy who was, has some fun tape from college, but he was projected to go late first at the best. And they take him at 12 when they also have the 18th pick. And he almost guaranteed would have still been there. And it's like, whoa, Lions, what are you doing? And then at 18, just real quick, they take a guy who's clearly like Dan Campbell had too much decision-making power in this next pick. <laughs> where it's like, his yep. name is Jack Jack Campbell, I think, from Iowa. And he's an off-ball, like, inside linebacker that would have been great with a neck pad in 2002. But in or this in the third day and round. age. Yeah, or in the third round. But in this day and age, he's not worth a first round. He's a second, a third round. Because it's just not a position of value no matter how good he is. Because at an extension time, he's not getting big money because it's just not that big of a position. So they take him at 18. And you're sitting there, it's like, what just happened with those two picks? What year is it, Dan Campbell? Like, how did this happen? Uh, it's a good – I don't think Dan Campbell has a Twitter. It's a good thing he doesn't. That poor guy was getting I skewed. I know. And, it, it, and I really deserves, like him. I really like him. I do too. What I really want to know is whose wife did DeAndre Swift fuck? Oh, what? yeah. Seriously. He has been in the doghouse, and I, jokes aside, it, it seems mostly injury related. Like maybe yeah. there's a, a touch of that toughness. I don't know if you watched Hard Knocks last year, but they were really like trying to like instill that dog in him, as if like implying that he didn't have it, like right. giving him that like you are the best player on the field kind of confidence, which you don't tell to like a guy like Saquon Barkley. Like he he knows he is, maybe to a fault on some plays, but yeah clearly they didn't want Swift as part of their long-term future. Clearly Dan Campbell, I guess, is obsessed with playing shootouts. Like just, just wants 45, 44 every game. Cause I, I, on the one hand, I was actually hearing me. I I was hearing, I was listening to people who are plugged into the draft stuff who were saying week of Gibbs moving up. Definitely a first rounder. Wouldn't be shocked if he goes a little earlier than you think. And I I think big picture, like we're kind of, on board with that like let's not overreact to the running back thing but it's the team building issue it's it's when when i like that running back style like overtakes this is what we need because that's the issue with the lions i actually am more okay with it with the falcons despite all of our our sort of second guessing the lions are the fucking favorites to win the nfc north that's the first time that's been true i think since i've been alive truly you gotta play for now Jared Goff, it's an incredible turnaround in terms of just public perception. And, you know, yeah. that's just influenced by how he plays. Like, he, he was a stud last year. But I, I'm with you. As much as I, I love Gibbs, like, absolutely I love Gibbs. And it might be in part just because he's such a 
different type of running back than what we've seen at Alabama over the years that watching him on that field and he was aided by how great Bryce was but to me he looked like one of just the fastest most like I will make a guy miss in the open field the way that a like Jamal Charles type was just never getting tackled out in the flat. If you had even a great angle, like one cornerback is not bringing him down. Yeah. Um, I'll be curious how that transfers for Gibbs. You know, everyone's bigger, faster, stronger, and he's not a big dude, but uh, I love the guy, but it, it's early. There's, there's no two ways about it. It's early and it just didn't make sense. As you said, for the team building, but just, you know, the use of their resources there, it's like wait till 18. They had the 18th mm-hmm. pick or trade that 12th back for a few more resources and then like use multiple of those picks, um, you know, to build out the defense, but their defense was so damn bad. And then it's just, they used to, and, um, again, I don't want to overreact to the running back, but it's two positions that are quote unquote, you know, less valuable core than some of the other positions that they sorely needed. And it's like, I just don't, you know, just said there's a weird situation. Maybe they just didn't believe him, but they gave him away for free to the Eagles. Who, who <laughs> the fourth the round and a, a seventh swap, I think. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think it was like a six and like the fourth is until 2025 or something like that. And it's like, well, you, you, you said you haven't seen a guy like Gibbs. Well, you know, he is he is a unique skill set. Don't get me wrong. I think he's he's electric, but they had that in Swift. It's like you, yeah. you just replaced a guy. So, I mean, yes, Swift had hurt injuries and he wasn't really good between the tackles, but they signed Montgomery to replace Jamal Williams. So they basically just repl- like changed their backfield, not necessarily for the better or for worse, just changed it somewhat you know, neutrally and they did it to, and they burned their 12th overall pick to do that. And like, that just didn't make any sense. They gave, it's not like they traded Swift for a second or something and like, Oh, okay. Like they upgraded their running back or they like got a different running back and they got a second round pick. They got like nothing for him. And then they burned it on a pick that, you know, of an unproven guy who might not even be any better than Swift. And it's like, what are we doing here? It's like you had a prime opportunity to really like seize that division. It's like, now your defense is as bad as the Vikings. Like, I don't know if they're going to they're, – I don't know if they're better than the Vikings. I know the Vikings were kind of frauds last year, but, you know, they still won the division and had a good record. So, it's like – I just – it was mind-blowing to me and pretty disappointing because I, I think they were set up so well to really take over this draft. And, I, I again, it could work out for them, but on paper it just was a poor use of resources um, where these guys were going to go. And then leading in the second round, they replaced Hawkinson with – you know, they traded for, I think, a first round with the Vikings. That's how they got that pick, which, you know, fine, whatever. They weren't making the playoffs that year, and that was a fine trade. And then they get his replacement, also from Iowa, tight end university, um, who, who, from all accounts, I read about him and, and saw some stuff on him. It looked He looks like a good player. Looks like a good player. But Michael Mayer is sitting right there, who's like, not a, I don't want to say generational again, but it seems like a transcendental talent. He was awesome at Notre Dame and like one of the best so receiving good. tight ends to come out. I know Kincaid was even better than him, but like those two were like the two of the best receiving tight ends to come out in years. And he's sitting right there. And then they take this like Iowa guy who probably will be good. All the Iowa tight ends, it's like a real thing, but more of like a blocker receiver hybrid type guy rather than like this pure, awesome, you know, midfield, like, you know, that like midway downfield receiver. And it's like, man, this stinks of Dan Campbell again, where it's like he wants this like gritty guy from Iowa rather than like the more talented player. And it's like, sometimes I think these teams get caught in like their system or their scheme or personality. Fit, where it's like, there's, there's a better guy at the same position that you got to take. Yeah. It, on the one hand, I born and raised a Patriots fan. Um, probably a, a, a shittier person because of it, but boys have been fun. Uh, and I, I they preach the whole like 
there are personality traits that we will take you off our board if you don't hit. And I'm sure that's all relative to value. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to fault a team for saying like, hey, we've had some really crappy experiences with dudes in the locker room. Like we, we can't be trapped in too many of these types of guys. But like Michael Meyer, like yeah. <laughs> Mayer, like he, he's not a I, I, watching him. This is just a quick aside, but watching him play at Notre Dame truly looked like a high school game where one guy's going to D1 and everyone else is not like yep. just and he wasn't that much like he's not like a massive dude, but just looked like the best football player on the field every time he touched the ball. I, missing on or not taking him is bizarre to me. They did get that DB from uh, from Alabama, Brian Branch. Yeah, I like that. Round. I did like so that. that. That felt like honestly their best pick of, of the first two days. Agreed. Um, Agreed. And I'm not I'm not trying to diss this Iowa tight end at all. I, I honestly don't know a ton about him. Um, but you I'm know I've heard good things. Though. But it's all like these guys are, are just yeah. a guy, like no yeah. fan, like so many big promises, but none of them are, are generational guys. They're, they're while Mayor and Kincaid, like people were shocked that Mayor didn't go first round, first round, and then he's sitting there for them in the second round. It's like you take him, it's like you make up for your first round mistakes. It's like he fits their offense of kind of gunslinger golf down the field with all those weapons, and then they just kind of met. Like, I don't know, it's just. It seems like they're playing for this silly, like meathead culture, you know, bruiser type thing when their offense. And their personnel art really isn't built for that. You know, Gibbs isn't even like a bruiser or anything, but it's like they get a running back and then this like inside linebacker and then this tight end from Iowa instead of Mayer. It's like, it doesn't even fit your current team. I know your coach likes it, but it just, it just didn't add up. And it's, it's frustrating to see when like a likable team is right there to take like a generational guy. And then it's, I don't know, like Mike Mayer seems like one of those tight ends. That's just like a lock to be good. And, and same with Kincaid. Yeah. And that kind of leads into like a, no, a note I just kind of made on draft night where it's like, Similar to in the NBA where center, like the games changed so much in both the NBA and the NFL over the last few years so rapidly for a variety of different reasons, entertainment purposes, you know, certain Steph Curry took over with the three pointer in the NFL. It's these quarterback quarterback craze. But in the NBA, we saw like, we always see with like Brooke Lopez, how on the fly he had to change to develop a three point shot and play outside and not just be a post guy. And then after him, these younger guys coming in the NBA, Carl Anthony Towns, like these younger centers, big men, Christophs Porzingis, Carl Anthony Towns, guys like that came in with a jump shot already ready to go in that stretch four, that stretch five ability. I think we're now seeing that with the tight ends where it's, we've seen like Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, even like dating back a little bit with the end of Witt and Tony Gonzalez, you know, Antonio Gates leading into that next era. And like Zach, I mean, you know, Travis Kelsey's been the number one receiver or target on a Super Bowl winning team every year. Um, now, like we're getting these young guys who are like, I can be that star tight end making a ton of money in the NFL. I'm going to have to do this instead of playing basketball. I'm going to do this instead of bulking up for offensive line. I'm going to do this instead of slimming down for receiver. I can be that like glory, you know, glorious, you know, wide receiving tight end. So I think now we're seeing this wave of tight ends coming in the league that have that receiving skill set already down blocking secondary if at all for them but they're these big bodies like quasi receivers that can play over the middle and take hits and be like a travis kelsey light i think it's like a new wave because this is the best tight end class i think i've ever seen in terms of depth and like high-end ability you had mm -hmm. kincaid and mayor who like seemed like generational guys and then you know four more that went in the second round and it wasn't a surprise and it's like i think there's going to be a new wave of like tight ends becoming as valuable as like a second receiver and paid like that and it just seems like that skill set of guys coming out of college is starting to match up to the game. I need someone to map out the day that 
jacked up went off the air on ESPN and the day all these basketball bodies decided to start playing tight end. And I'm half kidding, but there's so much less physicality over the middle now that it it doesn't look (laughs) as miserable to be a big bruising tight end. And that's, you know, obviously not how a lot of these guys are used anyway, but yeah, I'm with you, but I, 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 part of me wonders if it's these play callers and, and, and roster builders kind of like chasing the model of what works. Everyone says it's a copycat league and you don't have to look too far to see that. Like Travis Kelsey is <laughs> as a Patriots fan. It's been incredibly frustrating over the years, but his like spatial savvy, an inability to get open yes Andy Reid deserves a ton of credit for it but like that's not normal I, I actually kind of felt like Meyer despite being not quite the athlete had shades of that um, but it, it is such a high bar to ask a tight end to be the number one read in your offense like they need to be so good at getting open and generally they're slower than the guy covering them Kincaid total outlier there I think that's why people are so excited about him um, he ran what like a four five eight or something like, yeah, it was nuts. Dude, I, I think Pitts was faster, I think, than him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Pitts ran like a fast receiver. He's Spe- ridiculous. Speaking of fantasy picks that change your personality, good God. <laughs> I avoided that one, luckily. But he's usually a guy I traded right up my for him and traded for him in week three in two leagues and regretted it for 14 yeah. weeks. But anyway, yeah. that's not what people are here for. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting – it's an interesting trend. Do you think it's here to stay, this tight end thing? Is it like a new NFL offense, new rules thing, or is it is it more copycat stuff? I think it – I mean, I I omitted uh, Gronk, which is shame on me, um, but I also think Gronk's just such a unique case where it's like an athlete we've just never seen before. He's almost in his just own unique category. He, he also did change the game, though, like because of him, yeah. then, then, you know, then Travis Kelsey comes along. Travis Kelsey, I think he was a walk-on and he converted positions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he probably saw Gronk in the NFL and was like, whoa, you know, I can kind of do some of those things. Why not get out there? So then he, he does that. And then we've seen these last couple of years. No one's seen a tight end like Kyle Pitts, like this receiver tight end hybrid used at Florida. Um, you know, no one's seen a guy like him. Kincaid, everyone's getting juiced up about. Mayer is like, they're saying like a more athletic Jason Witten. Like they're these guys coming along that we – and again, I know that tight ends have gone like top five, top 10, you know, in the past. And honestly, a lot of them have busted, um, even like Evan Ingram. But Ingram's now found his footing with the Jaguars. Um, he just didn't have any hands, but he's got like that receiving tight end thing. But I think like Brandon, like looking back at like Brandon Pettigrew and other tight ends like that, that noticed really busted. They're like, he can block and kind of catch. Like that's what it was. And it was a little bit of a different yeah. NFL. It was like, he's a really good blocker, but he also is athletic enough to run routes. And people thought he was going to have like gaudy, you know, tight end numbers. No, he's like a good blocker who was like an okay catcher. And then he was like a huge disappointment. And it's like, now we're getting guys who are like, this guy's an unbelievable receiver, but he's big enough to like kind of stand on your line if you need to. So I think it has changed the game. Uh, or I think it is a trend that's here to stay just because of how much passing and how much creativity has gone on. And I think the college game from what I've gathered is, is be more similar to the NFL than we've ever seen before. It used to be like, Oh, the spread offense won't convert to the NFL. Well, the NFL has become not a spread offense, but it's become so pass happy that like the college offenses are like, well, let's get these guys more prepared for the NFL. Like, cause it's easier to kind of overlap there. So now all these colleges offenses are running like pro style type things. So that now these guys are like better prepared in the NFL, at least from a yeah. scheme standpoint. So it's like, now you're seeing in college, like, Yes, the Iowa still has – Iowa always has an awful, awful – I went to a game last year, Iowa-Iowa State football for a bachelor party. 
amazing time. It was the worst football game I've ever seen. It was 10-7 in the pouring rain, and it was the worst offensive display ever. I was screaming for the Iowa coach to be a fire. Kirk Ferentz, he's been there for like 25 years. His son's the offensive yeah, coordinator. Like- it was an absolute disgraceful performance. The worst offensive play calling and the performance I've ever seen. And they just had a, you know, they had, uh, Iowa had like three first round picks. Iowa, Iowa State combined had three first round picks. And like the tight end in the second, they have talent. It was just so pathetically called. It was like a couple missed field goals, pouring rain. It was when Wake played Army too in that seven overtime shootout. So I was missing that whole game up at West Point for this. And I was furious at how bad it was. I was literally screaming for, for the Iowa coach to be fired, the offensive coordinator. But um, that's an aside. That was just a, a poor memory for, for some of the wrong reasons. But that you might know, be the core memory for listeners of this inaugural yeah. podcast. So. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But um, but like George Kittle, like CJ Hawkinson will be like good college players, but never have the gaudy numbers because Iowa's system is not built that way. But we're getting guys like Kyle Pitcher going off in college. Kincaid, who was like the number one option on Utah. Like you never used to see that. Even like Gronk at Arizona wasn't like that because it just wasn't set up that way. So college has become more like the NFL. Um, and the NFL has become the so N- pass happy. <clears throat> yeah, no, yeah. They, they've both kind of – come closer to each other it's it's 100 yeah. percent true there's more teams running like true pro systems like the ohio states and, and even alabama's of the world recently like very recently for alabama obviously and sure there's still teams like fucking tennessee running what i'd run in a video game um i mean hell it almost went head and hooker heisman so you can't really talk down about it um yeah it did hurt him in the draft, but that, that's a different story. Right. But yeah, the, the the NFL game is so much more like just get these guys in space, find mismatches. And I think the tight end piece is is huge with these smaller linebackers because it becomes these like water yep. bug receivers trying to win one-on-one routes. All right, you need small little guys in the middle so they can play sideline to sideline. All right, guess who's going to dominate little guys in the middle? A big guy who's athletic. So it, it makes all the sense in the world. I, I just wonder, and I love watching really, I mean – Maybe Belichick doesn't deserve a shout for the last couple of years, but the way him and Harbaugh really are, are trying to like like go against the grain. They're like, all right, awesome. You want to put a bunch of little guys out there? All right, we're going to run the ball down your throat. Yeah. Uh, and in seeing where that ends up at the end of this season and, and going into next season, because um, yeah. there's going to be teams that have success with that. It's, it's, inevitable that it's going to change but it's i'm still trying to grapple with like the rules are pushing it one way without any kind of pushback right but to win an nfl game like if you put too many little guys out there you're gonna lose so at a certain point i think uh i think we'll we'll come back home and and someone like darnell washington will be a huge asset in in five years for the right team right for the team that that decides their scheme is going against the grain punishing small linebackers but well, ex- exa- that's a good example. Darnell Washington, I bet, 12 years ago, was a top five, top 10 pick. Because he's like, look <laughs> yeah. at the size, and he can kind of catch, and he's an amazing blocker. Nowadays, he's like, he's the third-round pick behind five or six other receiving tight ends. It's just interesting how the games change. But on the Harbaugh-Belichick point, I do want to – well, it, you, you've seen it firsthand as a Patriots fan. They're going against the grain, you know, more rhetorical, but how's that worked out so far? You know, they're, they're falling behind. I mean, you look at all those teams, Tomlin – I mean, I know they're kind of rebuild with Ben Lehman, but like Tomlin, Harbaugh, Belichick, all really good coaches that have kind of still defensive oriented and ground and pound. They've all fallen to mediocrity. I mean, a little bit different with Lamar, but it's like it it doesn't like Arthur Smith's doing in Falcons. I don't think it works in this with these rules and this style and these athletes, the ground and pound and like defensive grittiness. It it doesn't seem to work. You're falling to a high floor, low ceiling. You're not going to beat the star QBs in the league, or at least for multiple playoff games. And then 
you're kind of just sitting there where it's like, well, how do we change? And then you're like stuck in your system. It's like, well, we don't have a quarterback. We don't have an offensive minded head coach. And that's another thing. Like I'd take Andy Reid over a Belichick at this point, not their careers or their past successes or what they used to be or what the league used to be. But like a guy like Andy Reid or Shanahan over like a Belichick or Harbaugh any day of the week right now, because you just need an offensive minded head coach to win at least right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's really hard to argue with that. There was the moment more like 2017, 2018 uh, Lamar's MVP year where it felt like, okay, like this is working. They're, they're yeah. running friggin' 1940s offense. I'm, I'm going to put all the blame on Mac Jones for now. Uh, it's let's just, let's just live in a world that's easy to digest. And that, that's, that, that, that's that well, world for me. I mean, um, we don't need to talk about what, what we did on offense last year. That's that's all had Patricia. I mean, that was Belichick's fault. How did he make him offensive coordinator? Because he's old and doesn't have friends. Ugh. His son is his best friend. He's one it's, of those dads. Yeah. His, his best friend and his only friend, I think. I don't it, know. Hey, Steve, what are you guys to this weekend? Mind if I tag along? <laughs> Dad, I've been with you 48 hours this week. Get the <laughs> fuck out of it. I mean, <laughs> we can talk at a different time, but like, I revel, obviously, in the Patriots' downfall because I sat through it for so long. I won't even hide it. But, my God, that that Patricia hire as offensive – not only to bring back on defensive because he already got exposed to the defensive coordinator, awful head coach. They bring him back, but to be offensive coordinator where he had zero experience. And he already failed at his normal job. So, what are we? what was that about? I, I mean, Honestly, we don't have to get into it, but I, I – oh, it's just mind-blowing. The whole offseason, we were like – all right, there's another shoe that has to drop here. Like th- there has to be some sort of like, this isn't <laughs> how we're going to start week one. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just as bad as advertised. Like when you have Mac Jones, his third year in the league, basically like chewing out the offensive play calling with yeah. zero like cachet to do that. It's, it's yeah, you know it's bad. And he well, won but, the fight in a way. Yeah. He, he kind of was vindicated a little bit, like um, ousted him. Is that yeah. you know the the Philly or with the Eagles, ironically enough? But I I mean, the the the, the trick up the sleeve was bringing Joe Judge to be the O offensive coordinator, who was awful <laughs> with the Giants and is a special teams coach. It was unbelievable, and I don't like. I was never well, no, not don't like, but I was not a believer in like Mac Jones. Um, it was like a you know as a like his rookie year. Like I I saw game manager. I didn't see much more than that. Like they snuck in the playoffs. Yeah. Great. I really didn't see like. Again, my just amateur eye at it was like, this isn't like a true starting good quarterback. I wasn't fooled. A lot of people were. I was like, no. They're like, oh, natural winner, Obama, all this stuff. Like a little adversity comes in. And I mean, so I, I'm not a Mac Jones guy, but I do feel bad. He was absolutely set up to fail with Patricia and Judge. They're like, that's ridiculous. That being said, like some adversity and like his body language is terrible. Players are kind of, t- it seems yeah. like teammates kind of turned on him. And it's like this boys guy from Alabama, Saban's golden boy that like, you know, he's like a leader and all these like codified, like intangible, like for a white Alabama quarterback that they were throwing out. It was like, well, that got exposed really quickly. So talent aside, it's like the personality side is like, he's not ready for this adversity. And you're just like, kind of like, what do we all really know about these like teenagers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he deserved to be mad, but he, he acted, oh, like, a totally. having a, acted like a toddler having a tantrum. He really did. Totally yeah. great. Yeah. It was not fun to watch. It kind of looked like an 18 year old that just got, arrested for a DUI and said, you know who my dad is, but yeah, yes. yeah very much. That's, so. that's enough slander for my quarterback. Yeah. For today. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, we've been doing a lot of slander, maybe some positive from the draft. I mean, maybe not for you because I know they're a thorn in your side, but the Eagles, you know, Dude. we were talking about all these mistakes 
And it just seems like, you know, the good teams, I thought the Seahawks had a great draft and Carroll runs a really good team and organization over there. Eagles are obviously firing on all cylinders. It's like these teams that make mistakes and kind of, you know, can't walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. Then the Eagles are just sitting there like, wow, this guy's following us. This is really happening. And then they have an amazing draft again. It keeps happening. Who do you think was the best team in the league last year? In terms of what? If you're like power rankings, power ranking the teams, even after the Super Bowl, but like, hey, we're going to run back the season. I'm asking you to predict the Super Bowl champion. Obviously, the Super Bowl is just a game. You know, it can go either way. But who did you think was the best football team? I know what you're trying to go with with this. And my answer is, I think top to bottom roster was the Eagles. But a guy like Mahomes is that good where I'll take him no matter what every time. But in terms of top to bottom roster, the Eagles definitely had the best team. For sure. Yeah. And I, like, I even thought that play that game 10 times, like it's five, five, maybe yeah, I don't, I, th- I the way so. the Eagles played offense, they were, I think we had talked about this last week. Like I'm so over the, if Brock Purdy stayed healthy, they were going to win that game. I, sure. Maybe. No, he wasn't. <laughs> the, the Eagles were dominant all year on offense, yeah. like absolutely dominant in a way that is so hard to play against. If you are an elite chuck it all over the yard kind of quarterback. I, we could go for hours and I want to, I want to let you go watch, watch the Knicks here in a few minutes, but the Eagles are terrifying to me this year. Uh, yeah. And granted when it feels like this preseason, it usually doesn't work out and it's the NFL. It's a long season. Injuries are going to, to, to be a huge storyline, but if Hertz takes any step up, I think it really could be a turning point in the NFL. And I hope this doesn't feel too hot takey. It's just a, a sense that I get where like when I was watching every team through 17 weeks, the Eagles were the best team. Yes, you get in a playoff game, you want the Josh Allen, Burrow, Mahomes type. But if you're that effective of a runner and you're like 80% of those guys throwing the ball, you can just do so much more. Like it, it makes it so impossible to play defense against you. And it kind of felt like the, the Eagles let that one slip. And I I mean, if you're asking me, I would I would bet the Eagles way ahead of anybody to win this year. Um as long as they don't call fucking PI tight, because if they call PI tight, you're yeah. kind of screwed. But well, that's that's a conversation for a different day. Yeah, I'll offer a little bit, not necessarily a devil's advocate type play, but you know, here, well, here's the the layout for them. So they lost a lot of guys in free agency, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, the thing, the not frustrating thing, but just kind of the mind blowing thing is they kind of replaced all of that with guys who are ready to go. It seems like right now, you know, it's. The Jalen Carter thing, look, I don't want to get into the off-field stuff. You know, that's – I'm not a morality guy uh, or, you know, morality police. Like, I, I can't be, you know, judge, jury, executioner for that. Someone's got to clip that. I'm not a morality guy. <laughs> well, not like that. I mean, obviously, like, that has to be taken into consideration. But I'm not, like, one of, like, who – how wrong – how much wrong do you have to commit to not draft a guy? You know, but yeah. I, I knew, like, Jalen Carter, like, again, from every draft analyst, it was, like, he's by far the most talented – put together prospect in the NFL or in this NFL draft, Will Anderson's two, Bijan's three. That's like what the consensus rankings were. You know, QBs were lower, but it's obviously QB. Um, So it's like you have the clear best guy. Off the field stuff, you judge it however you want to judge it. But I knew he was going to fall, at least a few picks. Not crazy Mm -hmm. far, but I knew he'd fall like Laramie Tunzel did. But I was like, he's just going to fall a few picks. A couple of teams are going to talk themselves out of it, give themselves a pat on the back for doing so. And then a generational guy is going to go to a good team that trades up. It's like, I don't fucking care. I'm taking him. Also, I have a good locker room that can keep him on the straight and arrow. 
And that's yep. what it was. A, so from his end, perfect landing scenario, Fletcher Cox, Hassan Reddick, all those other veteran guys that can kind of show him the ropes and like keep him on the straight and narrow, at least on paper. It makes mm-hmm. a Nicole ton Dean, of Dean, who he sense. knows like personally, which I think is yeah. big. Yeah. The Georgia connection with all these guys, the alumni network there, you know, the Philadelphia Bulldogs now. It, it just it couldn't have worked out better for him. And it's in a win, it's a team that's like win now, really good. And it's, so it's like he can be really good, but he's also doesn't need the pressure on him. Well, like he went to a, like a team in the top five. It's like you need to get 10 sacks right now and be like a disruptor off the bat. Like maybe it didn't happen. And then maybe that affects his off the field stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But it's just like you, you, the Raiders are sitting there at, at seven. It's like that's where you draw the line, Oakland or Vegas. <laughs> After all, well, how many years have they had like a rest and stuff? It's like, well, we don't want to happen again. So that's where they draw the line on a generational guy. So they take a guy who's like it's a classic Raiders thing, a rangy, athletic guy who's kind of raw. And is like a really high risk, high reward guy, but probably going to flame out and be like, we're going to look back in 10 years and be like Jalen Carter, who's like an eight time all pro. It's like the Raiders took this guy at the same position over him. Who is that? You know, and it's just like, it's the same teams doing the same stuff. And the Eagles trade up one spot to get a stud defensive tackle and then take a linebacker from Georgia at the 30th pick. Who's like, also looks like a stud. And then another guy in the second round, just like all their holes that they had on defense, they just filled. And now it's like the well-oiled machine's going right back to it. You know what I mean? They, I know you want to yeah. hop in there. They've, uh, they have a really nice mix of, of veterans and youth too. I, I will say on the the Raiders, you know, having the chance to take Jalen Carter thing, it, the irony is it probably was the right move for the Raiders not to take him and was the right move for the Eagles to take him. Because yeah. of everything you said, like if he goes yeah. to Oakland – one little off the field issue because this massive media, like, yeah. And it's, you know, we, we really harp on it with quarterbacks, how much the situation determines the outcome, but like you need to be in the right spot. I I almost get it from, from teams across the board. If you're trying to like build the center of your defensive locker room, maybe Jalen Carter's not the guy, but if you're just trying to fill a gap and get an absolute monster and go win a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's probably the perfect guy. So That's the NFL does like, more than any other league that those storylines feel feel kind of fair, you know? Yeah, it's, you know what? That's a fair point. And like, we're going to lose that. Con- I'm just looking at the narrative 10 years from now. We're going to lose that context. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be like, why, how do the Raiders? It's just going to look bad if like he's amazing and like and the Raiders pick just kind of like completely flames out. I, I'm not saying it will happen, but if it did, it's just like that's going to be such a brutal narrative. But you have a good point there where it's like for him. For the teams, it makes way more sense for him to go to a team where he can be plug and play and doesn't have to be the guy right off the bat. Um, but and I guess the Raiders, you know, they can't have another off the field car related, you know, <laughs> death controversy. Jesus, Chuck. God. Well, sorry, but he did just get he did just plead guilty today. Um, oh, did he really? I yeah, seen that. Th- three to ten years. I don't know what the sentence are made. Brutal. I mean, that's brutal. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just so. Oh, this is what I'm gonna say about the Eagles. Yeah. All that being said, yes, I think they filled all the, like the holes of like they lost Hargrave to their you know Niners who are probably their biggest threat right now in the NFC, um, and they lost a couple other guys. I mean, again, I think they knocked it out of the round with um, their, the Georgia picks and and just like refilling those defensive holes, um, and then they got Swift for nothing. So it's like they let Miles Sanders walk to the Panthers. I think this is the right move just money wise, and then they trade for Swift for nothing. It's like well now they've got their running back, you know, or you know. To, you know the safety valve for for Jalen Hurts so they did all the right moves the only thing I'll say is Hurts has now got his contract extension you know so Hmm. now it's like so yes I think for this year yeah yeah this year specifically yes they're terrifying and I think they're going to run it back the NFC is super 
super weak compared to the AFC, which we can go into later in the summer. But the, the amount of good young quarterbacks in the AFC versus the disparity in the NFC is laughable. I've never seen it this lopsided before. Um, but it's the clock's on for them now. And now it's like, okay, so a lot of these guys, they're not going to be able to resign. A lot of these holes, they won't be able to refill moving forward because they're not going to knock it out of every, every draft. And now Hurts has to be that guy every year. You know, when you have that court, that's why everyone wants that quarterback for five years because you get that rookie contract and you can sign all these other guys around him. But now Hertz is off that contract. And it's like, now he has to either take another step or at least be just as good. It's like, I think I don't know enough about it, but people seem to still have questions about his passing. I thought he seemed to alleviate some of those, but concerns, but that contract kicks in and it's like, all right, now, you know, now we can't have all these, like the star studded defense. We can't steal guys from other teams. So, it'll, I mean, Howie Roseman's one of the best in the business, but it'll be interesting to see, like, moving forward, what was that their peak? And is it are we looking at it in five years saying, man, how did that team not get back to the Super Bowl after that year? How did they lose in the second round of the playoffs and then all of a sudden it all disbanded? Like, there's a world where it's hard to conceive right now, but that's possible. You're right. And I, I think this is a good place to wrap up. I, I think there's undoubtedly like a two, three-year window right now tons of talent in the building and then even the best job by howie roseman is probably a two or three year window where hopefully hurts is still elite and your team's making the playoffs but the roster's maybe not quite there and then you kind of set up for that next sort of like final era of hurts career run we're talking like Mm -hmm. 2030 now like i I almost there's just no way you're going to compete in the final two years of this this deal for hurts like that's an insane thing to say but it's it's far less likely that you compete then and you compete now. Uh, and it's like, is Sirianni the guy? Because I think the, the longevity piece, and that goes to, I mean, franchise QB, which again, we're saying Hertz needs to be, and obviously could be, might be. But the, the other point is the, is the coach. Like, who are the teams that last a long time as like really consistent, you know, contenders? You know, it's I touched on before, but Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, Tomlin, Harbaugh, Andy Reid. Take those coaches that are like staying power that for 15, 20 years and stability and can kind of maybe they have one down year here or there, but they're always in the playoffs every year for a reason with their teams. And it's like, is Sirianni that guy? What if they fire him and have to run a whole new system? And then it's like you waste another year of Hertz's deal. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying there's a world where it's like, yes, this year they're terrifying, but it's like, are we staring down the barrel of a dynasty or like uh, one of the greatest what if stories, you know? And that's why we love the NFL, baby. It's, it's season to season. The, the swings and the storylines are unlike anything else. It's it's the best. And everyone's I got agree. hope. I think one thing, this is a promise, just a wrap-up comment, but like we're talking about the top five teams and how like it's always the same teams up there, it feels like. And it's a league designed for that not to be the case. Like That's why the ineptitude is so frustrating. Yeah. Everything is built for you to get out of this, this window. And maybe we're being a little harsh. You know, The Jags used to be that team, and now they're not. But like the Raiders, yeah. the Texans, it's it's the Colts in the last five years. It's it's a it's a t- tough place if, if if you can't get out of that top five. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm freaking pumped for this NFL season. Should we should we get you out of here on a quick uh, quick Knicks check in? I'm guessing they they've played three or four minutes here. How, how you feeling about this series right now? Um, I told you that I was really I was feeling pretty confident coming in. I knew it was going to be a hard, hard fought series. Like I know on paper they're favored and Vegas, they're favored, but it's like, we all know Jimmy Butler in the heat. They, they just seem to always find a way and he's elevates his game. Like unlike almost anyone I've seen in the playoffs from like regular season, the playoffs. Um, so I knew it was going to be a hard fought battle, renewed rivalry. So I was really pumped for it. 
I felt good coming into it. And I still don't feel bad. But I did see after game one, I was like really upset with them because they had a chance to win that and they just couldn't hit a three and they couldn't hit a shot. And it was like, really would have been nice to take that one at home because I don't think that he played overly well, like good defense, whatnot. But like, we were right there with it. We could have had it. Always frustrating to drop that game. But I still feel okay. Some, you know, I don't know if optimistic is the right word, but I still feel comfortable with where we're at and how we match up in the series. But it did dawn on me. It's like, this is going to be a like, Part ripping out series, just like drag every you know, emotional roller coaster of just like an absolute slog fest for them on the court and for me at home. And it's just like, <laughs> God damn, like this is because the Cavs one, like, I don't know, the games like they were low scoring and stuff, but it didn't have that same. I don't know. There's this thing with the heat. It's just like it brings it out in both teams where you just it's like an absolute grind fest. And it's like, oh, my God, I might have to sit through this for seven games. And it's like an absolute exhausting feeling. So I'm yeah. staring on the barrel of like an emotional roller coaster draining series, but I still feel at least matchup wise pretty. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to guarantee a win or anything win in the series, but if they lose tonight, there'll be panic. If they lose tonight, there'll be panic. I think Butler is officially out. I'm about to pull it up. The garden's got to get you this one. And you guys should be the better team, obviously without Butler, but yeah, no, you, you got to win this one. And then yeah. it's just, going to be fourth quarter after fourth quarter of like intense possessions yeah. i think part of what you're saying too like the Cavs just don't have that many like intense like all-time competitors yeah uh, van gundy keeps talking about that and i think he's on to something like you, you just need dudes who are going to give 110 percent and like lean yeah. in to it getting hard the heat have those dudes in spades even if they don't yeah. have the shot makers a lot of teams do and it's gonna be a fun series, and the Knicks have those guys too, like Josh yes. Hart and Brunson yeah, yeah, yeah. and whatnot. And it was so obvious of that versus the Cavs. It was almost like a, oh, okay, they're beating them by fifteen this game, and it was just kind of obvious. And you could kind of just sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah, um, shockingly easy, in control. Yeah, easier to say looking back, but honestly, the last two games of the series, like we're we're just in control from start to finish. And now this series, it's like we're gonna be we're we've got like you know their matchup with us. We've we've got our work cut out for us, yeah, so we'll see. But. Um, tough times for, no left. Tough, tough people do. Chuck. Yeah. Well, and I guess one. I mean, I've had extraordinarily tough times as a fan for the last 29 years. So I've been built for this, or at least you know, my, my heart is coated over in, in whatever rust or whatever. I don't know what the word is, but whatever it is, where I'm jaded as hell and I'm just numb to it all. Um, Hopefully, you get to you, brush it off in a few weeks. Let's hope. Um, but I, I didn't get your thoughts. We only texted about oh, that. Man. Shocking, shocking Dude. from a neutral observer, a shocking game. And Harden turned back the clock. What the hell? Is it that Tatum killer instinct missing? That team's killer instinct? What's going on? On the one hand, they're just playing with their food a little bit. But on the other, I told you this yeah. after game five against the Hawks. I was like, I just lost the confidence that we could win yeah. the title. Like it it just didn't look like the way a championship team approaches that type of game. And I guess if Embiid's not out there, it, it is really difficult to bring that same level of intensity, but I am not confident. I I, I think we get through this because I, I don't see a world where Embiid's 100%, even if he does play. But God damn, is this like an uninspired effort. There's just, ugh. We look so good in stretches, but nothing yeah. looks like it used to. And I'm, I'm now to the point where like, I, I truly, genuinely biased sure but like thought the celtics were the best bet to win the title 
two weeks ago, not even two weeks ago. And now to me, like it's nuggets by a mile. It's, it's yeah. not even close. They, um, the East is wide open though, too, especially with the Embiid injury. So it's like, if you, you're going to be favored, you know, no matter who you play in the East. So at least true. the finals, you should still feel like, I think that the Sixers can't beat you in a seven game, even after game one, like it was a heroic hardened performance. I mean, I'd be shocked if like Embiid, a not healthy Embiid and like they, they, they take down the Celtics. So it's like Embiid probably won't be healthy for a couple more games. And it's like, you can probably build up a two, one lead, you know, when he comes back. Hope. You know, we were talking about how game seven with the Bruins, like in that, in the third period, when you have all those expectations, you're favored to win, you have history at stake, that pressure and tension actually like becomes a negative, like being in your yeah. own building almost, almost hurts you. If Celtics Sixers game two is close in the fourth, that building is going to suck the life out of Jason Tatum. And yeah. it, it scares the shit out of me because he just when he gets going, it's I don't know. He, he, he can shoot it from anywhere, but it doesn't look like a, I can get mine in such a variety of ways that it doesn't matter what kind of night I'm having. Like, I'm, I'm just going to go get it. Yeah, it comes and goes, man. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I watched that game last night and the killer instant thing you were talking about. I was like, I know, I see it. I see what he, I see what he's talking about. They're missing. I was like, Oof. like it was just down the yeah. stretch. You didn't feel confident. Like they didn't. No one really like took over the game for them. Like I know Tatum had a monster monster game, but the last few minutes it was like, who's going to be their guy to take it? And like Harden was like, I'm taking over this game, and then no one really was responding, and they looked kind of uncomposed. It was like, whoa. This team was just in the finals. They shouldn't be like that. It was the same thing with the Bucks in the first round. It was weird mm-hmm. role reversal. I don't know. There, it's a it's a funky NBA postseason where I, like what what gets it done for teams and winning titles used to mean that like you had that championship DNA and it, it stuck. And now maybe it's just because so much is throwing doubles at guys and forcing role players to make threes, like even more so than five years ago. It feels like, but it just feels like the, we talked about this. The variance game to game is up. Uh, unless you're like truly a well, well-oiled machine, like like a team like the Nuggets. So, yeah, yeah. If you can, you can hear the apathy in my voice. I'm sure it's just yeah. like I'm not even looking forward to Game Two. It's all right. all to lose, nothing to gain. It, it's fucking rough. That was like me at the Rangers Game Seven. It was miserable, and five minutes in, I knew what Ranger team showed up. It was like this one's over. I stink. That's, it's embarrassing. Right, but well, let, let the Knicks. Uh, George, what am I trying to say? Let, let the Knicks lift your spirits a little bit, hopefully. Please. Get, Please get you back on that, that winning side. That's right. Um, all right. Well, fuck yeah, dude. We, we did the first one. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm going to hit Pleasure. stop recording. I'm going to hope it hope it sounds decent.